Well, we are in part two of kind of a two-part uh, series uh, called uh, Behind the Scenes of Christmas. Christmas Behind the Scenes. And you know, I was just thinking about it this week, that Christmas is really a powerful holiday. I mean, it's very powerful. I mean, just think about it. On President's Day, carolers don't come to your house and knock on the door and start singing, It's a grand old flag, it's a high-flying flag, Merry President's Day! That ever happened to anybody here? No, it doesn't happen. And it also doesn't happen on Valentine's Day. I mean, on Valentine's Day, we don't see this guy lit up in front of our lawns, do we? Just think Cupid is right there right now, okay? And it's really funny. So, there! There's Cupid. Okay. And they don't do lights on Valentine's Day. Or on Labor Day. You don't have a whole bunch of inflatable plumbers or carpenters out in front of your yard, right? I mean, it just doesn't happen that way. Now, Christmas is a holiday that is powerful. And it's much bigger than almost any other. Now, last week, we began by talking about Christmas behind the scenes. And we said that Christmas was more than pageantry. In other, in other words, it's more than shows or it's more than the stage presentation that we see. Because if you think about it, um, for the past 2,000 years, there have been stages that have been filled with this story. We put Christmas to music, to dance, to puppets, to all kinds of things, to kind of tidy it up, make it look safe and sanitized. And when you go behind the scenes, though, it's a very different world. When you go behind the scenes, it looks different. So just so we're all on the same page, for anyone who wasn't here last week, we'll just kind of quickly review some of the key characters uh, in the Christmas story and what they really felt like behind the scenes. The first one we talked about was Joseph. Joseph was Jesus' earthly dad. We said that behind the scenes, Joseph felt what? Was anyone here last week? What was he? Afraid. Joseph was afraid. He was petrified. He was totally afraid. His world got turned upside down. You see, Joseph is going through life. He's got this wonderful bride. And uh, he finds out that this teenaged virgin comes to him one day and says, Joseph, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Hello. You know, what do you do with that? Well... Joseph was afraid. Secondly, we looked at Mary, Jesus' mom, and we said that Mary would have felt what? You know, you're so encouraging to me today that the things that, you know, I say are just... It's mesmerizing, I can tell to you. Uncomfortable, okay? It was uncomfortable. Socially, she felt uncomfortable because everyone was looking at her as her pouch started to grow, and they're going, she wasn't married, I 
and they're talking about. And physically she was uncomfortable because we learned that she had to travel 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the census on an animal, being pregnant, five to six days on an animal, going up and down terrain. She's uncomfortable. And then, to top it all off, there was no room for them in Bethlehem, and so she bursts the baby in a barn with animals all around her. It's an understatement to say that she was uncomfortable. And finally, we looked at the first visitors, the shepherds and the wise men. And we said that they were what? Awestruck. There we go. There's a couple more. Awestruck. I mean, when God in flesh, the person of Jesus Christ, came as God, the shepherds and the wise men were awestruck. They were astonished at what they saw. Now, for me, last week, well, the teaching was fantastic. I don't necessarily mean I was fantastic. I mean that the teaching itself was fantastic. And the reason was is because there were so many of us that really had a feeling of what Jesus makes us feel. In fact, if you remember, I gave you those three words, afraid, uncomfortable, and awestruck, and I invited you to circle or check one of those, and if they didn't meet it, to uh, put something else in. And this is what came back. Over half of you said that Jesus, when you think about Him, He makes you feel awestruck. You're astonished by Him. You lift Him up. You're amazed by who He is. And then the other half of you kind of split between half of you being afraid of what Jesus might ask you to do with your life, and then the other felt uncomfortably because He might ask us to change something in our life. But I think the deepest truth that came to me were the individuals who wrote down different things that they felt. And you'll see them up here. People wrote, When I think of Jesus, I feel lost, affectionate, happy, joyful, unworthy, uncertain, confused, amazed that He chose me. And finally, the one response that really hit me the most was this one. Uncertain. Because of my self-eyes. I must get my eyes focused on Jesus this Christmas. And when that hit, I thought to myself, you know what, that's what I need to do. Rather than all the things that go around Christmas, I need to focus my eyes on the reason for Christmas. Jesus Himself. More than anything else, that's what I want to do. Friends, when it comes to Jesus, you don't want to live in fear. You don't want to live feeling uncomfortable. And you don't want to feel uncertain about His love for you. Because Jesus knows you best and He loves you most. And so, when it comes to Jesus, I think the majority of us here, not all of us, but the majority would say, I want Jesus to be the center of my life. 
I want to have a real and authentic relationship with God. I want Him to be the focus of me. But if that's true, how come so many of us don't live that way? How come so many of us are kind of afraid to follow Jesus? Why is it sometimes He makes us feel uncomfortable? Why do we continue to carry guilt and shame when He wants to give us freedom? Well, I believe the reason is, and I believe it with all my heart, is that I think the reason why many of us don't want to have kind of a Christ-following life is because we rely on our own power rather than God's power. We rely on our own power rather than God's power. We just kind of settle for our own power rather than trusting God. Now last week I talked about three key characters. But there was one that I left out. I like to call him the mean character. You know, every good story has a villain. It has a mean character. And the mean character, the power-hungry character, in the Christmas story was a guy by the name of Herod. His name was King Herod. Herod was the king of Judea and the surrounding Jewish areas. He is rarely seen on Christmas stages, though. Have you ever noticed that? You go to a Christmas play or you see something on television, you don't have Herod as a part of the cast because he's not a warm, fuzzy kind of person. He's not warm or fuzzy at all. Herod was ruthless and evil. He filled his life with adultery, betrayal, murder, and lies. I mean, it'd be great for MTV to have Herod because, you know, they could have this one powerful story of him. He was called Herod the Great, but actually a better word would be Herod the Psycho because he had a venomous jealousy for power and he didn't want anyone else to have it. So in Matthew chapter 2, the mean character comes onto the scene and this is what we read. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Psycho Herod. I added that, okay? About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it arose, and we have come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by their question. Now let me pause there for a second. Let me help you to understand why he was deeply disturbed. He was deeply disturbed because he was deeply afraid. He was afraid because he was the king of the Jews. And now all of a sudden, he's getting word that there is another king that is coming. And he's fearful that that king is going to take his throne and his crown. Now, I don't have a kingly experience. I've never had a kingly experience in my life. In fact, the most kingly experience I've ever had is going to Burger King and eating a Whopper, okay? 
but that's the only kind of king experience I've had. But if you're a king and there's another king coming to your area and you're insecure about this, you may do some weird things and you become afraid that he's going to take your power. And that's what Herod had. In fact, beside the mean character Herod, you can put that word afraid because that's what he was. He was afraid. And then the story continues. He, Herod, called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. Where did the prophet say the Messiah would be born, he asked them. Now, Herod was not a God-fearing man. He wasn't godly at all. In fact, he wasn't real intrigued by the scribes and the priests. He called these guys in because he remembered hearing that there was this prophecy about a Messiah that would be born. And he was worried about it. And people were telling Herod, he's not coming like anything you've seen before. He's going to come as a political leader and he's going to crush you. Unlike the baby Jesus who came with not even a, a, a manger to be born into. But Herod feels the heat. The political pressure is on. And he feels uncomfortable. You see, he feels both afraid and uncomfortable, and he's obsessed by everything that's going on in his life. Finally, verse 7. Then Herod sent a private message to the wise men, asking them to come see him. At this meeting, he learned the exact time when they, fought, when they first saw the star. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. You see here, what Herod's doing is, he's trying to make the wise men his secret double agents. That if he can get them to go out and tell him where this is, Herod can remove him. And he, finally, because he is afraid, and because he is uncomfortable, and he is obsessed with power, Herod does the unthinkable. The wise men hear from God from an angel. And the angel tells them, don't go back to Herod because he wants to do harm. Leave, escape. And so they do. But when psycho Herod hears this, look at his response. Herod was furious when he learned that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, because the wise men had been uh, to had been told the wise men had told him the star first appeared to them about two years earlier. You see, if there was anyone who had a power trip, if he knew about power and how to leverage power and how to abuse power, it was Herod. But here's the key, folks. It was just human power. Human power. And you know what? No matter how much power you think that you have, eventually it's going to run out. No matter how much power presidents and kings and authorities over us have, eventually that human power will run out. 
And I was reading in verse 19, two simple words about Herod's power. Let's all read this together, okay? It's real easy. One, two, three. Herod died. 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 Done. Kaput. Pushing up daisies. Worm bait. He is underneath, folks. No power left. He's done. Most powerful figure that we see up till this point. And he's done. Because his power runs out. And in the final analysis, this is what Herod's problem was. He relied on his own power rather than God's power. He relied on his own power rather than God's power. When you go behind the scenes of Herod, what you find is an afraid, uncomfortable, obsessed, power-hungry, insecure little kid. He thought Jesus was going to come and steal his power. And so Herod said, no, I'm going to steal your power first. But Jesus didn't come to take power away from us, folks. He came to give us power in our lives. And Jesus wants to give every single person here today power this Christmas. This Christmas, Jesus wants this to be the most powerful Christmas of your life. You know, when it comes right down to it, if we answer this question, what is Christmas all about? It's this, God's power in action. That's what Christmas is about. It's not about all the presents, all the decorations, although all those things are fun. But it's about God's power in action. I was thinking about it this week. That just in the Christmas story alone, there are five powerful acts that are God-initiated. First, it was God's power that invaded humanity with divinity. That's the birth of Jesus Christ. No one else had ever come that was divine who became human. It was God's power that changed natural law. Anyone here know of any virgin in your life who's conceived of a baby? No. Natural law totally changed. Third, it was God's power that blocked the plans of a powerful king named Herod. Fourth, it was God's power that orchestrated all of the prophecy to fulfill the promise of the Messiah. Do you get that, folks, how powerful this is? 700 years before Jesus was born, there was a guy who predicted everything in the Christmas story. His name was Isaiah, a servant, a prophet of God. That's powerful. No other world religion has that in their story. None of them. And finally, it was God's power who personally communicated to His people and guided the wise men and Joseph to safety. You see, folks, Christmas is all about God's power in action. The God-man Jesus Christ came downstairs to each one of us and He wants to give us His power and His peace. You might say, you might say that God's power was revealed in Jesus Christ so that God could bring peace to your life. God's power was revealed 
in Jesus Christ to bring peace to your life. That's what God wants. He wants peace to happen in your life. Now, we could continue to talk more and more about God's power. We do that a lot. We could talk about how loving God is, how forgiving, how merciful, how all-powerful He is. But I think the more personal question that you would ask this morning is this. How do we live with that power? How do you live with it? Well, the Bible says this. For the kingdom of God is not just fancy talk. It is living by God's power. So how do we do that? How do we live by God's power? I'm guessing that most of you here probably don't question that God has power that the intelligent designer of the world has power. I mean, all you have to do is kind of look around you, and you can see His power. The sun, the moon, the stars, creation. Look at the person beside you, and just laugh for a second. (laughs) I mean, that was a lot of power, you know? God created every single person here. But the question many of us have, is God's power accessible to me. In 2008, going through one of the worst economic times of our life, people losing jobs, struggles in relationships, is His power still available to me? And the Bible says this, God gives power and strength to His people. It doesn't change, folks. God is still giving power and strength to you. But my question is, does He do it all the time? Does He always do it? I mean, when can I count on God's power? For our 10-year wedding anniversary, I decided that I wanted to do something special for my wife, Jennifer. And so I planned a week-long vacation in New York City, down in Times Square. And I knew if I tried to plan it, I'd screw it up. So um, I got a travel agent here in town, Greens Travel. Maybe you've had a horrible experience with them, but I had a good one. So uh, go see Greens Travel. And uh, so the lady did everything, and she said, well, you know, you kind of want to balance things. You want to have sightseeing, but you want to have some romantic things, too. So I'm cool with that. And she said, well, we're going to send you to the Empire State Building, Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island, several other sites just to experience New York City. I was like, man, that's great. She said, but you need some romance. So they have this boat cruise. And it's right when the sun is setting. And you'll like that. And I said, and I know I will. (laughs) And so we went on the boat cruise. And then we went to some Broadway plays. Guys, you want to kind of help the romance in your life? Take your wife to a Broadway play. We went and saw Beauty and the Beast. And at the end, Jen was like putty in my hands, man. I was the beast and she was the beauty and it was time to go. We also went on a carriage ride to uh, Central Park. At night, if you go to New York and you're a husband, 
Don't take your wife during the daytime. You're going to sweat, perspire, or, you know, freeze. But you get that little blanket, you know, just at night, just a little bit. You kind of put the arm around, and it's romantic. Now, I told the agent, I said, I know I'm into all this romantic stuff, but, you know, can we do something I want to do? Oh, yeah. We're going to take you to the Bronx Zoo. And Jennifer likes zoos. And we went to, uh, you know, the um, Yankees and watch the New York Yankees. And she said she had fun. I don't know if she did or not, but uh, it was good for me. And we went to the ESPN zone, which I'm, I know she hated that. But anyways, you know, you can't have all romance. But this was the highlight, folks. We stayed at one of the most trendiest and upscale hotels in all of New York City. We had no clue. I just said, here's the money, get us the deal, and she did. And uh, the name of the hotel was called The W. I didn't know what that meant, but I soon found out. It was impressive. They opened your taxi car door. You walked in. There was this, you know, kind of modern music. Everything's going, do, do, do. And you're like kind of feeling kind of cool, like, man, I'm into this, you know. There was like oxygen. Like, you think we're breathing oxygen? Go to The W sometime. I mean, there's like this beautiful smell and everything's great and you get to your room and it was wonderful and every single person that uh, you would talk to who were service people would say this whatever whenever that was the tagline for the whole hotel whatever whenever whatever you needed whenever you needed it there was a staff person to fulfill your request i mean you'd walk around and if they knew who you were they'd say whatever whenever mr bunch mrs bunch and they'd try to help you Heck, I just, for a joke, called it midnight, just to see if they really would do this. And I said, hey, I want to go jogging, but I forgot my jogging shoes. I um, wondered if you could get those. Whatever, whenever, what size, and uh, what style do you want? And then, you know, I didn't want to go jogging, so I'm going, uh, this is just a prank. <laughs> Click, you know. Jennifer, you know, really was not happy about that one. Now, we haven't been back to the W since then. But you know what? I've never forgotten that phrase. Whatever, whenever. And you know what? When it comes to God, and when you can count on His power, you can count on His power whenever you need it and whatever you're going through. Whenever you need it and whatever you're going through. You can count on this power when you're afraid. You can count on God's power when you're uncomfortable. You can count on it when you're anxious, when you're depressed, when you're fearful, when you're not sure, when you're lonely, when you're by yourself. No matter what you're going through, you can count on God's power because whenever you need it, whatever you're going through, God's power is for you. It is. And you might be saying, well, Bunch, how do you know that? The Bible says this. He, God, never grows faint or weary. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to the weak. I love that about God. I love the fact that God never loses His power. He never gets tired. He never gets preoccupied. He never gets weary. He never gets tired. He never loses energy. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, for the rest of your life, guess what? 
God, each day, every second of the day, is thinking about you. And He wants to give you His power. And His power can be counted on to take care of you at any time. Whenever you need it, whatever you're going through. Now, earlier this week, I predicted that some of you at this point in the teaching, if you were still awake, would probably start questioning me with something like this. Okay, preacher boy, good for you. You know, maybe you're a little preacher stuff. You know, you're a little closer to God or something. But I don't see God's power working in my life. I mean, I'm fearful, I'm afraid, I lost my job, my relationships are in trouble, I'm heartbroken, I'm nervous, I have bad health, my prayers aren't being answered, I don't feel and I don't see God's power in my life. Well, friends, God's power is not automatic. He doesn't force it on you, you have to choose it. So let's get real practical for the rest of our time. And let's answer this question, how can I access God's power? How can you access His power right now today? First of all, I must admit my need. You have to admit your need for God's power. It's as simple as saying, God, I can't do this on my power. I need your power in my life. Now let's be honest. This is pretty easy to do, right? When you're hurting, when life isn't going so well, when things aren't going so great, it's easy to always go to God with 911. God, I need your power. I'm in need of some help. Would you come through right now in the clutch because I'm struggling with some stuff. It's easy to do it then. But when life is on easy street, when things are going well, when everything's on cruise control, then you have to ask, why do I need His power? You know, I can handle this. I don't need you, God, because things are going so well. It's a lot harder to seek His power then. So you want God's power in your life? Then you've got to drop the pride. Admit you need His power, not just when things are bad, but all the time you need it. The Bible says this, so humble yourselves. In other words, drop the pride under the mighty hand of God and in His good time, He will honor you. He'll lift you up. He'll empower you. He'll take care of you. You Do you want God's power? The first one is, I have to admit my need. The second way to access uh, God's power is you must plug into God's power source. I must plug into... God's power source. Now, I'm going to give you a spiritual truth right now that is going to blow your mind. In fact, at first, you're going to see it and you'll think, oh, that's so simple. But once you think about it a little bit more, you're going to be like, oh my gosh. In fact, you're probably going to say, you know what? I don't know what he's making financially, but we need to give him more money. Okay? And do you know what that is? I'm going to tell you right now. You ready? Things work best when they're plugged in. Deep, isn't it? You just sit on that for a little bit, it gets deeper as you go. 
things work best when they're plugged in. For instance, let's look at this toaster. If this toaster is not plugged in, it's not going to work, right? It's not going to have any power source. I don't care how nice and yellow it is, it's fiesta. Who gives a rip, right? But it's fiesta. And it's yellow and it's pretty. And it's nice. This may cost a lot. This particular toaster may have been in the church kitchen its whole life. You know what I'm saying when I'm saying that? It could be in the church kitchen all the time. But I don't care how pretty it is, how much it costs, whether it's been in the church its whole life, if it's not plugged in, guess what? It's not going to work. You're never going to have toast. You put it in and you go like that, you know what you're going to get? Bread! And that's it. But it has to be plugged in. You know, I have a lot of conversations with people here at the church, people who have connected, maybe disconnected, reconnected in the community, and and they'll come up to me and they'll say things like this, I used to be plugged in. I used to be plugged into a relationship with God. I used to be plugged into the church. I used to be plugged in. And then their story usually goes to this, of what happened. They usually say, I was plugged into God, And then I got unplugged and I plugged into myself. My agenda, my dreams, my thoughts, what I want to do. And then typically, if I listen to them long enough, they blame God for their life. Friends, if you unplug from God, don't be so arrogant to think that God is going to bless you and give you power in your life. I mean, why would God do that? Why would He do those things for your life if you were just going to go outside of His plan for your life and do your own thing? If you want God's power, you've got to plug in. Now, some of you might be saying, I am plugged in, Chris. I've been plugged in for a while. Great. You know what you need to be saying to yourself? Stay connected. I must stay connected with God's power source. In fact, Jesus spelled this whole connection theory out when he said these words. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me. There's the connection piece. The plug-in. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, apart from me, you will not have power in your life. Apart from me, you go off in your own direction. Today, if you're sitting there and you're wondering, I don't know if I've ever been plugged into a relationship with God, today's your day. Why not get plugged in today? God is waiting at the door of your heart, knocking on it, wanting you to be plugged into the power that He can give to your life. But the choice is up to you. He wants the connection. And if you've been unplugged for a while and you've drifted for a little while, why not get a reconnect? And God doesn't wait as long as the cable man does for a reconnect, okay? If you want to reconnect, 
he gets reconnected immediately. And you know how you reconnect? You make regular church attendance a priority. You get connected back with the Bible, back in prayer. And God's like, you know what? Now you're connecting again. You're plugged in. Here's my power. So I admit my need. I plug into God. And finally, you step out in faith. I step out in faith. God's power works in connection with our faith. Stepping out in faith means that I'm going to choose God's way even before the power shows up. Did you hear that? That's the key word there, is the word before. Before His power shows up, I'm going to be connected to Him. Faith is this. I'm trusting God that He'll meet me there. I'm trusting God that He'll act. I'm trusting God that He'll show up. The Bible says this about faith. What is faith? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. What we hope for is actually going to happen. So you might be thinking, you mean I have to take action and act upon it first, even though I don't have the power to get the power? Yeah. You have to act as if you have the power, even though you don't have the power, so that you can get the power. You act as if the power will be there. That God sees your faith and He turns on the power. Now, I'm not naive to say that those three things are easy. They're not. They're difficult. They're hard things to do. But they are essential if you want God's power in your life. Friends, Christmas is all about God's power. It's about the power of Jesus Christ who came down, downstairs to our level and to give us His power and His peace. Now over the past two weeks, we've looked at all the characters of the Christmas story. Joseph, Mary, the first visitors, you know, the shepherds and the wise men and Herod. But now I want to push all of those aside and I want us to focus in on the central character of the Christmas story and it's Jesus. You see, Jesus is the central character of this story. And if you want the power of God in your life, then you have to have the person of Jesus Christ. You can't have God's power without the person of Jesus. The power of God is wrapped up in who Jesus is. Because when you have a relationship with God, you become a child of God. When you say, Jesus, I want you in my life, you become adopted immediately into a relationship with Him. Now, there are six billion people in the world. Six billion. But they're not all children of God. They are creations of God. Rather, the only way that you become a child of God is when you say, I want Jesus in my life. I want a relationship with Him. That's the only way. So I want to ask you a question this morning. And this is what we'll close on. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Are you relying on your own power or are you relying on His power? And some of you will say, no, I am a child of God. Well, why aren't you relying more on His power then? Today, you might just want to say a little prayer to God that says, God, I don't want to rely on my power anymore. I want to rely on Your power. I want to step out and trust your power in my life. I want to reconnect with you.
Or maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to God. You never have in your whole life. You've thought about it. You just haven't done it. You've never invited Him to be Lord, Savior, CEO, President of your life. And today you might just say this prayer to God. You might say, God, I don't fully understand this, but I want Your presence in my life. I don't get it all. I don't understand everything, but God, as far as I know, here I'm asking for forgiveness of my sins, and I want You in my life. Give me Your power today. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, thank You so much that You do not keep us at a distance. Thank You that we can have a personal relationship with You. That You love us enough that You say, I just won't leave You there to kind of fend for Yourself, but I'm going to give You my power. And God, we thank You that You want the best for us. Jesus, help us today to rely less on our own power and to rely more on Yours. We trust in Your power. We're thankful for that. And God, most of all, we're thankful to be called Your children. And today, maybe that's what people just need to hear, is to hear from my voice, but from your heart that says, you're my child. Help us this week, God, to stay plugged in to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, uh, please come on up. Thanks.